0: Well, good morning, brothers. Welcome back to Grace and Granite. Welcome for the first time. If this is your first time, um, I have been looking forward to uh, to today for, for a while. I'm always sad whenever the semester's over. I know it's good to have ebbs and flows, but... Um, Man, summertime uh, is probably harder, longer break, but um, we're back. We were supposed to be back last week, but obviously we had snow and all of the other stuff, and so we delayed it to this week to uh, to kick off. Um, and so uh, this morning, what I'm going to be doing is just telling you a little bit about uh, where we're going, why we do it, just a reminder, uh, but then we're going to dive right into, uh, right into our lesson. I'll tell you where that's at. Uh, pick up where we left off at the end of uh, last semester. Um, This is a three-year curriculum. The beauty of it, though, is it's lesson by lesson, and so you can plug and play. If you haven't been here uh, at any point in time, you're going to jump right in and roll with the group, and then it just rolls over. We just start over uh, again. Um, and uh, if you've been here with us the whole time, we're almost done uh, with the book. We're not going to finish it up this semester, but, um, but we're pretty close, so we have moved through um, this book. If you need a Grace and Granite uh, book, you can see Mike. Uh, Mike's in the back back there. Uh, if you need one, let me know, or let Mike know, raise your hand, he'll bring you one. Uh, I think they're, what are they, Mike, $20? Uh, which cover, huh? Yeah, and the other $9 goes to Mark Hager, right? Yeah, biblical counseling. Um, no, they just cover the printing cost, and uh, the cost of, uh, I mean, I think these are like 10 bucks to print, they're $12, the rest of it. Uh, goes for your coffee and you know food and those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, you can take this, uh, use it. This curriculum actually was developed um, years ago. Does you may need one of these? Uh, all right, got one right here, Mike. Um, and you, if you don't have the uh, the money today, you can just bring it later. Um, that curriculum was actually this curriculum was actually developed. Um, at, uh, through a hodgepodge of things. Grace Community Church, uh, where MacArthur's at, um, this was taught in their men's material, and then it just, uh, all of our guys at Expositors kept adding to it. Jerry Rag uh, gets the, the bulk of the, of the credit, and then uh, we finally put it in, or they finally put it in this, uh, in this uh, format, and uh, we've been using it. It's just, it's practical, uh, and it's geared toward us as uh, as men um, that want to want to follow the Lord so what we do is every Tuesday at 6 a.m we gather in here we normally go to about 10 minutes after seven um, if you need to get up and leave uh, that's totally fine just slip out um, you know you got work and and those kinds of things so whenever you come in uh, normally the doors are open lights are on uh, around um, uh, 530, 545. If you get here early, feel free to do that. There'll be coffee and typically food um, over here. Uh, I will often bring a video to introduce the lesson. Uh, there's a short one that we'll, uh, we'll look at today. Um, before we do that, we, we pray and we normally read the psalm on the day, which we'll do, uh, and then watch the video, and then we dive right into the lesson. It is interactive uh, at, at least for uh, for for the most part. So if you have a question, you know, sometimes I'll ask you to look up a, a passage, or you want to interject something. That's what we're here uh, to do, uh, to learn um, together. Um, I think we, we we described it when we kicked it off. Of um, all of you are doing devotions, personal devotions. I'm doing personal devotions. And so Tuesday morning, we, uh, we do those together because our greatest desire in life uh, is to know God and to know His Son and to become uh, more like Him and more, uh, more pleasing um, to Him. So uh, today is January 25th, um, so you can open to the Psalms, Psalm twenty five. I love the Psalms. It's the biblical hymn book, um, but I like it because it the focus is the Lord. But it's it's uh, it's right where the psalmist is living. So you have all walks of of life represented, all ups and downs, and and all arounds. Psalm 25 is a psalm of David. It says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in whom I trust, do not let me be put to shame or be ashamed. And He describes what he means by that. Don't let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be put to shame. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. That should be our prayer. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. uh, And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your loving kindness. Uh, Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him. and He will make them know His covenant. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all of my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Your word is alive. Your word puts um, biblical terms to our own thoughts and feelings. It. It helps us define rightly what's going on in our hearts, what should be going on in our hearts, and we are thankful for that. We are, we're thankful it doesn't gloss over the, the realities of, of the fall or our sin or, or our fears or our difficulties or our longings, but it also never fails to point us in the right direction, which is toward you. Father, we want to be men who fear you. We want to be men who look to you and you alone for our guidance. Um, we don't want our Christianity just to be um, words, uh, some ethereal ideal that we kind of hold out there but then live the way that we want to live, live according to the desires of our flesh. We, we, we want to connect those two things. Um, we want to to not only look to you as our Savior, we need a Savior for our sins, we want to look to you as Lord think of the words of Jesus, and you said um, why do you call me Lord and then not do what I say Lord we want to do what you say and we thank you uh, that you've given us a book that we can look to, I thank you for this morning, the kickoff of a new semester I pray that you would grant me clarity, help me to be able to be edifying to these men i want to serve you well by serving them well and uh, i ask all this in jesus name amen all right we're going to watch a little video just to kick us off and then i'll remind you of some truths and then we're going to be on page 259 of our book this morning
1: you're born you live you die and that life defines your eternity. Heaven and hell follow in a straight line from what you've made of this life and that's it. You waste your life if you don't bring it into sync with God's purposes for you, for your life. And I'm focusing on three of those. Number one, God made you for His glory. That is, He made you to put Him on display by the way you live, the way you think, the way you feel. Here are a few verses. Isaiah 43:7, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone whom I created for my glory. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all of it for the glory of God. Or 1 Corinthians 6.19 You were bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body. Or last night, Philippians 1.19, my eager expectation and hope that now, as always, I might not be ashamed, but that in everything, Christ would be magnified in my body, whether I live or whether I die. It's all over the Bible. You're on the planet by God's design in order to make Him look magnificent.
0: Of, uh, of saying things that just feel feels weighty, doesn't it? And the topic is surely weighty. Um, we call this men's group, men of grace and, and granite. We want to be men who, who live like that, live for that aim, for that goal. Um, what follows your life is a meeting with, with your Creator. Um, and after that meeting, there is heaven or, or hell. Um, what you do in this life, how you live your life right now, matters. It echoes into eternity. You can even turn that around. The way you live right now uh, reveals where you're headed in eternity. Um, and you were not created, and I was not created for myself, for my own desires, my own purposes. Um, I was created and you were created for God, for His glory, um, to make much of, of Him. And the beauty in that, the way God's designed it, is that when you and I live to make much of Him for His glory, it, it also is for our good and it fills us with joy. There's no happier person on the planet that, than a person who understands that and lives like that. Like, there is nothing more precious than knowing that, that God is pleased and you're living for Him and being used uh, by Him uh, for, his, for His glory, which is the whole point of the Westminster Confession, the chief aim. Of, of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him together. The, the glorifying of God and enjoying God go together to the extent that you and I fail to glorify God, then our joy dissipates as as well. Those two things are, are married by, uh, by God's design. So how do you do that? that that's what we're talking Everybody, yeah, you know, Uh, I I have an affinity even though I know Piper's gotten squirrely on, you know, a a few things recently. My heart still resonates whenever I hear that brother's voice because whenever I first came to Christ, I listened to him and and, and he was the echo, the the voice that, that the Lord used to point me to a high view of God. Who is God? And living for God. But we, we use that term, the glory of God. But but what does that mean? What does it mean to live for God's glory? We know that theologically, we know that we might even know that passage in, in Isaiah. What are the the boots on the ground, rubber meets the road, life, what is a life like that that lives for uh, for God's glory? And that's what we're about in, in our grace and granite sessions, too. To grind us into that, uh, you know, into that reality. Uh, to 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 bring us back. To to give us that that rudder, um, not to be wandering aimlessly in, in in life, but but to have that that single uh, focus a focal point on the horizon that that I'm moving toward with with just resolute intensity, and and to do that with other brothers. Um, God has designed the Christian life in such a way where, where we know where we're going individually. We don't go to heaven because we're part of a church or because we're part of a group. We go to heaven because of Christ and Christ alone, and uh, He has saved me. He has transformed me. He has made me a new creation. Uh, and so I know who my master is and I know where he's at and where I'm supposed to head but God has designed the Christian life where where we we have others that that are that are with us fewer than is on the broad road there's a lot on that road you know so we're not judging what's right or wrong by conventional wisdom or you know the the collective whole because the Bible says few be there that that find it you know you're on uh, you're on a the, a, a path with, with fewer people than is on the, the broad one. Um, but those brothers, you brothers, are there to help one another, help me um, to keep that resolute focus and we wander off to you know, bring us back. And the Lord has designed the Christian life with many graces and you have to avail yourself of all of those graces in order to stay focused because if you, if, you just, if you just only avail yourself of one of the five or one of the six or whatever the number is, then you're going to find that you're going to lose the battle. Your heart is an idol factory. The world is all around you, uh, pulling you, trying to conform you into its image, and there is a real devil, not a little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork, but, but a hater of God and therefore a hater of you because of God's love. And, and he has been at work long before you ever were born and long before you ever got up this morning. He is working the cosmos, his system of thinking. And that's manifested in the world and that, that is attractive to your flesh. And so that's why John says we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that would be a, a hill that none of us would be able to climb, an enemy that none of us would be able to defeat. So we take great hope in that verse, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The power of Christ is, is enough. It's sufficient for you to overcome all three of those mortal enemies. But You try to face any one of those three mortal enemies on your own, and you toast. I mean, you are—you're just—you're undone. Um, and so, we avail ourselves of all of the graces. What are the graces of God? What 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 has God built into life on the earth uh, while we're waiting on on His return? And and what is what is an even greater reality? I mean, there is another world that that is coming, and it's more real than the one that we're in right now. And it's not, you know, angels on white fluffy clouds with harps and wings and or whatever other uh, thing that comes to your imagination. It's it's life with, with God. We're separated from Him uh, in in a physical uh, component right now. We're going to literally be with Him in in glory one day. But while we're we're absent from the body, um. I'm sorry, while we are absent from the Lord, um, what has God given us in order to keep us focused, uh, to live a life that's, that's pleasing to Him? Well, the Bible, obviously, right? I mean, that's, I think one of the greatest treasures that, that we have. We, we have the words of the living God. I mean, you think about that. The power in the voice of God the power in the words of God is enough that whenever He speaks, quasars come into existence. I mean, this rock that's spinning in the midst of, of, the, of, the, of the, the, the universe, of the galaxy, of, of the solar system. I mean, it, the voice of God has the power to speak that, and it comes into existence, into, into full form. And to do that instantaneously doesn't need millions of years to do that. The, the, the voice of God has that kind of power. The voice of God has the power that whenever it speaks, even whenever Jesus walked the earth in human form, when the voice of God says, Lazarus, come forth, <laughs> the, the dead rise. I mean, that is power, and even greater when you, as a dead sinner, having no desire for God whatsoever, dead in your trespasses and sins. When you are there, having no care for God, no love for God, no desire for God, only desiring to hear your own voice and do what you desire to do, the voice of God has the power to bring you to spiritual life, to give you eyes to see, to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that power... Is compacted in this book. I mean, think of how many words are in this book. In every single one of those words, those words have meaning, and those 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 meanings go together in in uh, in grammar and syntax and context. There's meaning, and in every one of those those words, as they're rightly divided, they have the power to to create life. Um, so the Bible, obviously, is one of the things that the Lord's given us. So you neglect the Bible? You're, you're kidding yourself. You think you're going to win you know, the, the, the battle. So, so we don't neglect the Bible. We come and we sit under the proclamation of the word. We come and sit under God's voice as it is rightly divided and proclaimed. There's something unique, there's something ordained by God about preaching, about proclamation. I understand you can read the Bible on your own, and you should. I understand that you, should, you can do personal devotions and read devotional books, and those are good. You should do that. I understand that you want to come to Grace and Granite, and that is good. Or Sunday school class, or small group, or whatever's going on on your hall. It's good to come in contact with the Word of God. But there is something special, there is something unique, there's something powerful, there's something ordained by God when His church is, is called together and gathers to hear the proclamation of His Word, where it's not just a man, um, it's, it's, it's a vessel that, that speaks God's voice, um, which again, is why it's so important to get it right and to... To, to, to not make it about yourself and all of those other things. But when God's voice is heard by His people, then God does work. So that's one of the ways that we don't neglect the Bible. We sit under the preaching of, of the Word. We, we read it. It's another way, right? I mean, you're not going to win the battle by just coming on Sunday and sitting under the preaching of the Word. I mean, that's a lot better than not sitting under the preaching of the Word, but... But I don't know about you, but I need it all, right? I mean, I need every grace that is possible to be brought to bear on my wicked heart. And so you read the Bible. Um, and so we have talked in here about how to do that. You know, I mean, I, I'm like you. I've gotten up and opened the Bible, you know, and read it. And it just felt like dead words on a page. Or, or I've, I've opened it up and thought, wow, what am I going to read today? I don't really have a plan. I, I, you know, I've done the method uh, I hope you haven't done this, but I've done the method, you know, and let's read here today and, and all of those kinds of things. You know, it's good in one sense to read the Bible. Where, wherever you're reading and however you're reading, that's, that's good. But, but that's a grace. It's how you place yourself under the, under the scriptures. You, you, you do that. This is the way you place yourself under the scriptures. Do a specific Bible study, small group, whatever it is. That's one of the graces, the Bible. Another grace is the church. I kind of mentioned that in the, in the introduction. The church is one of God's graces to keep you and to preserve you. Think of the promise. Think of this promise. It's in Philippians 1. You, you know it. He who began a good work in you, who began the good work? He's the one. You're not smarter than the average bear. You didn't wake up this morning and and just decide that that I'm going to follow Christ today because I'm smarter than the, the dumb Muslim down the road that's got a false god. He's the one who began a good work in you. He's the one who opened your eyes. Without Him, you'd still be walking in the other direction. He who began a good work in you will continue it. He began the work, and he'll continue it. And that verse says, how long he'll continue it? Until the day that you see him face to face. If God began a work in you, then God will continue that work. And that's a great, great promise. And you gather together with others where God is, is doing that work. And the church is is a tremendous grace. Can not tell you how many people I've seen... Fall or get out of get out of sorts, or or live a mediocre uh, Christian life, because somehow they've been duped. Somehow they have picked up really bad ecclesiology. Uh, it's me and Jesus. I don't need the church, or the church is there to serve me, rather than seeing it as a necessity. Um, you need the brothers in this room, and and I need you. It's a grace. Of, of God, you have the Bible. You you have the you have the church. You have the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. That, what a treasure that is! Right, the very presence of the Lord living in you, and His role is to empower you to obey. His role is to illuminate the Word. Obviously, His initial work is to regenerate you make you a new creation but then after that he comes and lives in you he takes up residence in you and and his job is to not give you new revelation you don't need it new you need what revelation or you already have illuminated for you to understand it that's his role so the spirit of god illuminates the truth and the spirit of god then empowers you to walk in the truth but there's passages in the bible that tells us we can grieve the holy spirit of god um that's bad. <laughs> that, not availing yourself of that grace will surely lead you, uh, you know, astray. You have many graces of God in the scriptures. You could, we could go on. We could talk about communion. We could talk about the baptism. We could talk about um, the other things that God has built into life on earth. But I think you get the point. We need the Lord and we need one another, and so that's one of the purposes that we have um, is availing ourselves. So we have to we have to know the truth. We have to believe the truth. We have to live the truth, and then we share the truth. And there's a there's a pattern to that. This is the the basic uh, outline of grace and granite. We want to know the truth. What is the truth? What's right? What's wrong? What does the Bible say? And it's not enough to know it. You have to believe it. Um, and then after you believe it, you have to live it. Not enough to just to know something or believe something, but you want to follow it, live it, and then you obviously share it with others. God didn't just give it to you and me to bring it in, but to actually pour it out to, uh, to other people. Discipleship is not optional. In fact, that's the whole point of the, of the Great Commission. It's a mandate for every Christian it's the essence of what it means to be a Christian in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I think Mike brought this up on Sunday night in, you know, in here. And when we believe the gospel, we've, we've turned from following ourselves in the world and we begin to follow Christ. And He's both Savior and, and Lord. And now our entire lives are directed by Him and we learn to obey His words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verse 15 um, passage about being made a new creation but it goes on to say and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf we we no longer live for ourselves what's implied in that we no longer live for ourselves yeah we used to that's exactly right I mean that's that's the hot that's that, that's the essence of depravity. I am God, you serve me, God serves me, the world serves me, it's all about me, 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 I'm on the throne, and therefore I refuse to submit to the Lord. I want His benefits, but not submission to Him or anybody else. We used to live that way. We no longer live that way. As a Christian, we no longer live that way. Um, so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but now we live for Him. We live for Him um The one who died and rose again on on our behalf and that's that's really the the crux of the Christian life and living for him simply means becoming more like Christ uh, less like the world, obeying him and helping others do the same or as we say, every new member class um, our goal as a church is to make and mature disciples I and mean, that's that's what we do. We make disciples. We mature disciples. We're, we're disciples of the, of the Lord. Um, so discipleship is not a nine-week course. Um, you know, it's your life, coming in contact with God's truth, uh, born out over time, and you're moving toward Christ and unto Him. You know, unto him. And it's, it involves people. So that's what we're all about, to know the truth, believe the truth, uh, live the truth, and share the truth. And so we look at specific things in Scripture as we walk through this book. So I want you to open your Grace and Granted books to page 258, because this is where we left off. And last semester we spent a lot of time on what topic? Do you remember the topic that we covered last time? Church discipline, yeah. And church discipline wasn't just throwing people out who are in sin. Church discipline was connected to church membership, right? And that was part of what we're looking for in a healthy church. What, What kind of church do I want to be a part of? Do you remember the three things? The kind of church that It's one that pleases the Lord, the one you want to be part of, a biblical church. use a lot of adjectives there. What are the three things? God's voice is heard heard in the church. It's exactly right. His voice is the voice. It might have a West Virginia accent, but it's His voice. Um, That's vital. I I mean, if there's one thing that grieves me... um, Look, you know, I think if you've been here long enough, you know we don't think we're all that in a box of chocolates and we're not the only ones that are preaching the gospel. Um, There are a number of faithful places and faithful brothers and faithful churches out there doing that. In fact, I loathe um, self-exaltation. But if there's one thing that grieves me when I look around at the landscape and, and see people starving and struggling, it's, it's, it's that principle right there. I see a lot of preachers, a lot of personality, and very little of Christ, and very little of His Word. And there's something in me, whenever I see that, that just, I just want to rip my robe. I, I want to I, I take a stake and drive it into the heart of something like that. It is an offense to God, but more importantly, um, it hurts people, you know, the very thing that you're supposed to get in a place like that, what they promise. Uh, practical living, uh, easily accessible, uh, really reach people. They give them the opposite. They, they give them a big nothing burger, and people go away hungry. And then it leaves them in worse a worse situation than whenever they, whenever they came in. It's, it's bad. It's evil. It's from the pit of hell. So the voice of God, get off my soapbox. What was the second thing? Yeah, that's right, qualified leaders. So if you got God's voice and God speaks through His Word, then and God uses men in order to do that, then you don't just want anybody. The, that message that uh, or the article that I mentioned on Sunday, I think in one of the services, might have been ten thirty about the hipster pastor. That was the guy in Tennessee. Um, that built this big, giant church down there. And um, the church members came over. I forget, it was for something to surprise the pastor, and they surprised the pastor all right. This guy was in his boxer shorts with another woman in the church who was actually the wife of another person on staff, and she's in a towel. And they're sitting in the living room when people from the church come and knock on the door. And this guy's answer to that was, we were cooking and uh, she spilled chili on herself. And so she had to take her clothes off and, 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 and get them washed. That's why she's in a towel. To which one church member said, so then why are you in boxers? Right? I mean You think we're stupid? Yeah, sin will make you stupid. Sin will make you think other people are stupid. Um, but if you look at that ministry... That guy didn't fall right there. That guy fell before he ever started the church because he's all about himself. It's all about him and and his kingdom and those kinds of things rather than than Christ. So we look at people that, leaders that fall, and as MacArthur said, whenever they fall, they're not far from the ground. You know, they don't start up here in a holy life, living the way they're supposed to live, and then... There has been a downgrade for some time. That whenever they fall, it's boop. they're already like close to the ground. You just didn't know it, and God knew it. And he already had them on a, on a, on the on the downgrade for you know for some time. It's qualified leaders. What are qualified leaders, right? We Look, First Timothy three. We looked at Titus. Uh, plurality of those men. You don't want one guy running the show. And those men have have character qualities that are evident. Because we're going to be listening to those men, and they have wisdom, and there are times when we need to listen to their wisdom. And so there's a number of them, multitude of counselors, their safety. What was the last one? We already mentioned it, right? Church membership, yeah. Um, Who's in, who's out, who's following Christ, who's not. And then the ultimate expression of that is church discipline. We will love you enough here. That if you make a covenant in in membership, that if you fall into sin and refuse to hear and refuse to hear and refuse to hear, then we will pursue you um, even to the point of grievingly turning you over to your own flesh for God to destroy it, which looks like reading your name before the the congregation. Um, So that's what we're we're, we're looking at or what we, we spent a lot of time looking at. And so that was page 258. So, you turn to page 259, here is series 14. What we're going to be covering this semester, number one, is divorce and remarriage, our next topic. And then, if you turn over to page 265, the role of women in the church. Two non controversial topics for us, right? It's great we we'll see what God's Word says about both of those things. Um, and then we won't get to it, but you can see on page 270, Godly balance for music and worship ministries. I think Clay's looking in there somewhere. It says the church needs to have a minister of music, but they need to hire one. I don't see that on page 270 at all. I think the guy that's doing it is doing a great job, don't you all? (laughs) All right. So we're not going to get there, obviously, because we have a limited amount of time, but we've got between now and uh, whenever. Uh, Let me just say this. First of all, with divorce and, and remarriage, when I preached through the Gospel of Mark, I spent a long time on this topic. When that passage came up in exposition, I think there's six, maybe seven messages, Sunday morning, Sunday night, we did Q&A, and we we blew out the whole topic. So if you want to hear this preached on, go back on our um, our website and look up the Gospel of Mark, the passage in Mark about divorce and remarriage. We went from there over to 1 Corinthians 7. So uh, if you're here for that, this will be a reminder... I doubt you remember what I said then, because I don't think I remember what I said then. Um, but it's a good refresher. So let's dive in. Our last forty-five—I'm uh, sorry, fifteen minutes here. Six forty-five. The study of divorce and remarriage is essential to develop firm convictions surrounding God's perfect design for marriages and families. So in the study, both the Old Testament and the New Testament passages are examined uh, to firmly plant the church within the biblical framework of marriage. God's people must have a thorough knowledge of the clear teaching in Scripture since one man, one woman designed for marriage for life is clearly under attack in our culture. And I would say it's been under attack since the Garden. Right? I mean, it's not just our culture. It's under attack everywhere. So if you look at the way this lesson is laid out, the first thing that we'll talk about, again, when we finish this, number one, is in the Old Testament. And then by the time you get to number three, page 261, it's the New Testament. So we'll look at Old Testament divorce and remarriage, New Testament divorce and remarriage. And then we'll look at the the, the biblical grounds for divorce. Um. Immorality, abandonment, and then we'll get into questions to anticipate. So, Old Testament, New Testament. What do you do with the exception passages? How do you nuance those? And then Q and A. Uh, what to anticipate, and how do you then apply all of that in a messy world with messy people and living outside of the garden and all of that? That's that's where we're that's where we're going. Um. So somebody open for me. Uh, you read this for the group. Proverbs two sixteen and seventeen, and then somebody put their finger in Malachi two thirteen through sixteen. We won't read Romans one because we just got done preaching Romans one. But those are the three passages that we'll we'll read. Notice your uh, Bible passages for the study. All of our studies begin with a number of passages. So how would you go about studying your Grace and Granite book? You don't just come here and listen. Uh, You look up these passages in your devotional time. You don't have a devotion. You don't get in the scriptures. You read the Daily Crumbs, as Mark likes to call it, or some other, you know, uh, anemic devotional. Add this to it. Um, So... You notice the very first verse is Genesis 1, to 27, because that's where everything begins. Uh, Tim Moshera on Sunday night is doing the first five books of, of, of the Bible, the beginnings. And um, the first three chapters of Genesis are massive for structuring the way that you should look at life because that's the way God looks at life. And then you're going to see what happens whenever we mess that up in sin. The original plan of God doesn't change; it gets it gets affected by the fall. So we need to know what what is that effect, and then how to how to deal with that. But Jesus is ultimately restoring um, paradise. He's ultimately restoring what God designed in the in in the beginning. So Genesis, read those passages. But number one, God hates divorce. And He hates it because it violates the nature of the one flesh permanent binding covenant between a man and a woman. That's a loaded sentence. It violates the nature of the one flesh permanent binding covenant between a man and a woman. Marriage was viewed as the most solemn arrangement between two human beings. So marriage, according to God, is rooted in creation. He made them male and female. Um, Both males and females bear the image of God. Um, A woman does not bear less of the image of God than you do. A woman is not less than you are spiritually. We are spiritual equals. But we are designed differently and created to reflect God's image and His glory in different ways, which is why it's really, really bad in order to blur the gender lines, to try to act like a woman or be like a woman or be less masculine or, or I understand you wouldn't do what the world does that say you can be a man or a woman, but there are ways in which we fail to reflect the image of God in lacking biblical masculinity. That's one of the things that we do. It's our task in life. Same thing for a woman. Biblical femininity actually highlights the image of God. It's a way that God has designed a woman to reflect his, his image, to, to bear his, you know, be a, a, a glory bearer in the, in the world. So God created men and women before the fall distinct. In order to, to have specific roles and live specific ways and relate to one another. But he created them male and female, and he did that so they could leave father and mother. Obviously we're jumping ahead there, you know. Adam and Eve didn't have a father and a mother, but he's anticipating what's what's going to happen in the normal progression. Created male and female, they're gonna come together, gonna form a, a marriage. So you're gonna in the future Males and females, they're going to leave father and mother and they're going to cleave. Man's going to cleave to his wife and there's going to be a one-flesh union and now they're going to reflect the glory of God in those distinct ways and distinct roles in in a marriage. It's a one-flesh, permanent, binding covenant. So the cleaving word is part of covenant. He further develops that covenant language later. But marriage... Is viewed as the most solemn arrangement between two human beings. It's not just a contract that you decide I'm out. Um, God's part of that. It's, it's embedded in, in in creation and and design. And because of that, he he hates the breaking of that. Um, uh, read Proverbs two, sixteen and seventeen. Who be willing to? Do? Thank you. This is an example of of the type of person that you don't want to be associated with or and think of uh, listen to what it says about the To deliver you from the strange woman from the adulteress
2: who flatters with her word, that leaves a companion over you and forgets the covenant of her God
0: so there is the um passage that talks about the adulteress it clearly identifies us as an immoral woman and it warns uh, a young man or any man to stay away from that type of woman her words sound sweet she flatters with, with her lips her heart's far from you but it, it gives uh, this uh, what's going on in her heart how she treats the covenant um, she forgets it and she abandons it one that she made with God. It means little to her. Um, And to divorce one's spouse puts him or her in opposition um, to God. It's probably the same thing that you're thinking or you're reading in, um, we're reading in Romans 1, starting in Romans 2. You can do things to put yourself in opposition to, to God where His hand is, is against you and you don't want to do that. Um, Romans 1, 18 through 27. Um, this is the, the pagan passage as we just went through. So man plunges into perversion by suppressing the truth, any truth. Man hates the original structure of marriage which leads to perversion. That's the reference to the passage about the unnatural uh, relations between men and men and women and women, um, homosexuality is a, is a, is an is, a, is is downstream from rejecting the truth, and it's an unnatural thing. It's it's contrary to creation. It's contrary to uh, to God's design. And you say, how does a person get there? Um, well, they suppress the truth. They reject the truth, and then. Part of the truth that they're rejecting is that original structure, uh, which then leads to perversion, and the marriage relationship cannot be sustained without the without the gospel. Um, in Malachi chapter uh, chapter two verses thirteen through sixteen, which is where this "God hates divorce" passage comes from. Somebody read Malachi two thirteen through sixteen. Thank you. I think I've shared with you, uh, you, this was, Malachi in general was um, the book that Tim White preached over at TCS years ago about uh, the first part about giving God your leftovers, Malachi 1, um, where they were bringing God their, you know, three-legged lambs and, you know, or you're giving God your 25-year-old turkey from your freezer uh, for Thanksgiving dinner that you haven't eaten or whatever it might be. And he had the teachers save all of their leftovers, uh, and but not refrigerate them, uh, to, to leave them out uh, in their Tupperware containers. And then he set up a table in front of the, the door whenever the kids walked in the gym. So they had to walk, the, the table's there when they walk in, and they go around the table and so they've been in these tupperware containers all week and you know and he opens obviously takes the lids off, so they're walking in. They have no idea what's gonna come in chapel or even what passage he's preaching. They just walk in from class and they're like, What in the world? You know, of course it stinks and there's green stuff growing and moss and whatever else that is on it, and then he preaches, you know, that Malachi passage about giving God your your leftovers, uh, Powerful um, illustration of what giving God, you know, your seconds or uh, or others mean, and that's not all that Malachi says that the Israelites were were, were doing there. Um, and this is a a powerful passage, convicting because it said. You know they they can't figure out why God is rejecting their offerings. They can't figure out why God is not receiving uh, them and not blessing them, and and why there's something that's that's wrong, and and they're weeping about it. And then the Lord answers the question for them in verse 14. But verse 13 in your book say, wanted God to excuse the deviation from His covenant design. They they didn't view marriage as God did, and they didn't view, it, uh, didn't view its demise as he did. And he did not accept their offering because they didn't look at the covenant the way he does. And, which I think this is important, they're not repenting of their sin. So everybody in here has not viewed something the way that God viewed it. And that's probably led to really bad stuff in your life um, because you're a sinner You know my testimony, and come to the Lord until I was 24. So you may fall into all kinds of categories where you didn't view something the way that God viewed it. But then I repented, and then you repented, and and that's the other side of the coin of what's going on in Malachi. Not only were they not seeing it, they were rejecting it. And then when it was being brought to bear, they were refusing to repent, and they were continuing on with, the way that, that they wanted to live. And so then in verse 14, they ask for the reason. Um, why is this why is this happening? And the Lord answers. Yet you say, For what reason? And the answer is because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You know, whenever you take those vows or whenever you will take those vows, there's a lot of symbolism going on that you, you, you may overlook because, you know, I mean, I always pointed out uh, I've been places where that's happened and where it hasn't, but uh, you two are making a covenant, but God's part of that covenant. He's a witness to that covenant. In fact, the people that you invite to the wedding are also witnesses to that covenant. What is a witness? It's somebody that's called to give a to, to give a testimony. Uh, if you ever break the the, the the promises that you made, the people that are there are are an, are an evidence that yeah, you, you you said those words and you didn't keep those words. Um, and, and then the the wedding party, the individuals that you choose, they're ones that that are going to help you keep the covenant. So they're separated, set apart from the rest of the congregation, there's special people in your life that they're there to, to listen, not just to put on a pretty dress or you know, the, have the right color tie on their tuxedo. I mean, you're saying, and they're agreeing, I'm going to be part of this covenant that you're making in this way. I'm going to listen, I mean, you're going to be joined together, and I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to help you, I'm going to call you out, and then the best man or the maid of honor is, is an even higher degree that's the special person who's really in your life and in your marriage and is saying i'm going to i'm going to keep you to the words that 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 you you have. So that's really what's going on in the you know in the in the wedding party. But this verse says something even more frightening than that. God is the one who's witnessing your words. He's listening to your promise. And he's the one who will be a witness himself. And he doesn't need a group of people to confirm it. Obviously, he already already knows. The wife is a companion by by covenant, but they dealt treacherously with her. And so God views the breaking of this covenant as treachery. And then here's the the result. He refuses to accept the worship of, of his people, does God forgive sin? Sure, yeah. You can find yourself in this situation. A number of you are in this situation, and you're not walking around with, you know, a big D uh, sewn on your, uh, you know, your your suit jacket anymore than I have a big D for drunk or I for immoral or whatever other sin that is there. Um, because whenever you come to Christ, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, and everything's washed away um, before the Lord. still may be consequences that are there and things to deal with, but that's not what's going on here. These are the people that aren't repenting, right? So they're not somebody that is is been forgiven by the Lord because they realized their sin and they came to God and they repented and they asked Him for, for forgiveness and He washed their sins away and now they're walking in new life. That's not what's going on with these individuals here. These individuals aren't getting it and they're living the way that they want to live and they're refusing to repent and God refuses to accept their worship. And they're living miserable lives you know, because of it. They have cut themselves off from God's worship and God's blessing. Um, and then he goes on. Verse um, 15. But not one has done so who has a, a remnant of the, of the Spirit... And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Um, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong." says the Lord of, of hosts. Um, it's a Hebrew expression. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Does anybody have an ESV? Yeah, would Somebody read the ESV, read uh, verse 16. This is verse 16 in the ESV. They take that, they mean the same thing, but they, they word it a little bit different, which I think is helpful. So the man who does not love his wife but divorces her. Um, the ESV, the Translation Committee, took the position that, you know, whenever you see what God hates and what God loves, it's the idea of, of, of choosing one over the, over the other, a contrast there. So not loving and then divorcing is how the, um, the ESV committee, um, you know, puts that, which I think is probably pretty good. Um, look at the top of page 260 worship will not be accepted if you deviate from God's design or if you do not agree with God and repent of the deviation Um, again that's the point agreeing with God and then whenever you're out of order repenting We see the same pattern of God not accepting worship in First Peter 3, 7. You husbands in the same way, this is a New Testament example. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker or the weaker vessel physically since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will be not hindered. An offering of worship to God or approaching God, there's a hindrance um, whenever you don't treat your, your wife in, in a God-honoring way, um, refusing to repent. So God doesn't say that he hates something that does not have massive consequences for his people. And Divorce is gospel disrupting. There's no way around that. There's no way to take any edge off of, of, of that. Um, any more than there's any way of taking an edge off of, uh, of, of the disruption of other sins. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ <laughs> forgives sinners and he came to save sinners like, like us. So um, questions, thoughts? comments about the Old Testament part. Next week we'll get into Matthew 5. Yes?
2: The, uh, you said that the witnesses are there to help you keep your vows at the wedding party, right? Yeah, we're...
0: Well, I would say, um, in general, what does the Scripture say? You marry only in the Lord. Your desire to take a wife is only in the Lord. So two believers. Um, and you're talking about a Christian wedding. So a Christian wedding is between two believers, and it's a worship service. So having a worship service, um, it's the gospel is part of that. It's all about Christ and the church. This couple is going to be a reflection of that. So you're talking about the purpose of marriage. And we're we're preaching the gospel in it. We're we're observing uh, something that God has designed for Earth. You know, marriage. So they'll be they'll not married or be given in marriage in heaven. They'll be like the angels. So marriage specifically is for Earth. It's a it's a gift that God has given, and so it's distinctly Christian. Um, I probably start there with with people because. Um, just a lot of worldly ideas come in and again I want to be careful about using worldly because there's some things that are just they're they're neutral they're not right or wrong one way or the other, you know whether you put a you know snowflakes from the ceiling or you know wear a dress or you know do whatever that that's not you know but but a lot of those ideas the ideas that that couples especially young have about marriage come from the world, come from what they saw on Pinterest, come from what they saw on ladies, unfortunately, the Hallmark Channel or wherever, you know, it might be. Um, so I, I don't know that it's it's practical to think that everybody in your wedding party is going to be a believer. I don't think that that's necessary, but I do think that what is necessary is the, those individuals know what their what their role is. So picking them and then you, because you're the one that would be picking your wedding party, thinking it through in that way. I don't think, I guess what I would aim at there is a lot of people don't even think about that whenever they're picking their wedding party. They go, well, I need Cousin Joe, and I need the, somebody from their side of the family, and this person's a friend. And, and so they're really thinking not from a spiritual component, but no, I don't think it's necessary that everybody in the wedding party is a you know is a believer, um, because even the wedding party itself you can't find a biblical text for it, you know. So this is some traditional things that we we, we put in. I'm just saying if you're going to do it, realize what you know what you're doing, and um, and then go from that. So. Yes, sir. Yeah. To his yeah. So, uh, yeah. That caused the church split pretty fast, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. You, as a a believer, you do have a a unique privilege. You know, I mean, does God recognize the union between two unbelievers? Yeah, He does, because they'll be held accountable for adultery. You know, Thou shalt not commit adultery. The law is, is applied to everyone, and marriage is part of God's common grace, even for unbelievers. They get some benefits out of out of life. So, in a Christian wedding, you're per, you understand what marriage is all about. You understand that it is a reflection of Christ and His church, and the gospel is embedded. You know, Jesus was promised a bride before the foundation of the world. He He selected a bride out of the world. God is still gathering that bride, and and He came to purchase that bride, to shed His blood for His bride. And and then he's gone away to prepare a place in the Father's house for the bride, and he's coming to get the bride, and take the bride with him to heaven, and the consummation of the marriage and eternal joy will happen. I mean, that's the redemption, the plan of redemption. And he's saying that you and I, as two wicked little sinners, get an opportunity to reflect that, you know, in a, you know to the world. That's a tremendous privilege, you know, to be able to to be able to do that. So then if you claim to know Christ, and you you engage in that, and you do that, and you make all his promises as God, as a witness, and then you trample on that, and then you don't even repent of that, that's a big problem. And God says, I'm not happy about that, and I refuse to accept your worship until you deal with that. And then the little microburst of that is the Second Peter component, because... Husbands and wives, these, this couple's still married, so they haven't divorced. But the husband is not treating the wife, of course you could reverse that, the wife not submitting to her husband and you know, going her own way. There are other passages to deal with her, but here, this couple's still married, and the husband is not treating his wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. He's not treating her as another image bearer. He's treating her wrongly. And he's trampling the Lord in that. And God says your prayers are hindered. I mean, don't bring your needs and wants to me until I, I want you to deal with this. Repent. I'll hear your prayer. First prayer, repent. <laughs> you don't repent, then I'm not going to hear anything else. Um, and so, again, that couple's still still married there. But that's how serious God treats the relationship between uh, you know, man and wife final okay uh read ahead read those passages and we'll pick up in matthew 5 uh, whenever we whenever we come back and again we'll get into the all of the the weeds or what about this and what about that and as we move through we're just establishing the biblical uh, standard that is is there so father thank you for these brothers um Thank you for a new semester. I pray that you would use it greatly. In our lives, we would um, be changed. Uh, When we're done with Grace and Grant this semester, may we be more, every one of us, more like Jesus Christ than whenever we started. We ask it all in His name. Amen.